So when you're incentivized as an owner in the company and you get a meeting with the CEO of Live Nation in Los Angeles, you're on a plane the next day and you're not like, oh, like, you know, another slog at the office. Like, yeah. oh, I can't believe I'm working so much. You're like, yeah. no, I'm, I want to make this a unicorn and I'm incentivized to do it. And this is financial security for my family. And yeah. it's stroking my ego and I love my exciting. work. So like, yes. yeah. bring it on. Like, let's go. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I could have worked more hours, but I think the stakes got higher because I thought, okay, you know, I, I sort of did the other thing but not fully on my own. I kind of, kind of was part of a team, saw how it was done. And IntelliTics was my real shot to say, you know, with a clean sheet of paper, how would you build a sales process system, team incentive systems, global expansion plan from scratch? Wow. And it's all on you. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. just really, really excited about bringing uh, Eric Jansen, who is teaching sales at the Ivy Business School. He was he was recognized as the number one prof uh, at Ivy, and uh, you know t- talked about how four percent of only four percent of schools across Canada teach sales, but some enormous numbers of people <laughs> actually eventually go into sales. And uh, we just had a fantastic conversation about uh, his sales career, his sales courses, his, 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 his training, his coaching. And I just so recommend listening and taking all, all the advantage of, uh, of this. Uh, shout out Kyle Pavlich, who, who uh, recommended uh, Eric come on the, on the podcast. And then what we're up to is is recruiting amazing students. So if you know of any amazing students, please send them away, studentworks.com. You can shoot me an email at cthompson at studentworks.com, or you can forward them this podcast. Thanks so much, and have an unbelievably fantastic day. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. So, so excited that you're here with us. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no, it's it's just awesome. So we we've got a whole bunch of young leaders here. That's our avatar, you know, 20 to, you know, 25-year-olds, 18 to 25-year-olds, so a group you know a lot about. But let's you know, bring them back. Who was Eric when, you know, he was in first second year university? What 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 were some of the frustrations you were dealing with? What were, what were you about then? Yeah. So first year university I was at Western. Didn't know I was that wasn't plan A. Plan A was to stay local, go to University of Windsor. Okay. And actually through conversations with my aunt and uncle, they pushed me and said, would you consider something else? You know, would you consider kind of leaving the nest a little bit? Right. And that was what pushed me to even consider other options outside of my own hometown. So I found myself at Western, which was 100% the right decision. Yeah. Even people who love their hometowns, I think there's so much value in going out and seeing other parts of the world, living yes. somewhere else, experiencing something different. So even though I intended actually one day to come back, I yeah. flew the coop, so to speak. I think like a lot of other probably millions or tens of millions of other university students, I was in business school, but I was not interested in what I call the big three, which is accounting, investment banking, or consulting. Yes. Yeah. But so many business schools focus so heavily on those three. Yeah. So there's like those three and then everything else. Yes. <laughs> and so um, I think like of a lot of others, I, I didn't want one of those three. It seemed like there were people that were thought they were born to be one of those three. Like they came in in first year, like I want to be an investment banker. And I, yeah. I didn't know what a banker was. I thought that was someone who gave me money at the bank, you know, like a teller. <laughs> so I think I just sort of explored what other options are there. And uh, I had run a bunch of my own sort of little small businesses okay. before university. Right. Didn't consider myself, frankly, an entrepreneur. It was just like, I want to make some money. So what what can I do to, to make some good cash in the summers? So right. you know, between cutting grass and a couple other 
businesses that I got into that I'm happy to chat about later on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I was sort of reaching for what are my other options outside of the big three. Right. And I gravitated towards two things. One was teaching. So okay. through a volunteer opportunity, I got to teach in Russia of all places and found wow. that I love that. And second, wanted something entrepreneurial. So I spent a lot of my summers and then early in my career at sort of early and growth stage venture-backed companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, it's interesting. When I think back, I was a, an athlete. So uh, I went to Toronto, University of Toronto because of the swim team. Otherwise, I was going to Western because that was the best place to go that I had done my research, you know, just in terms of school, environment, et cetera. And, and, and I loved entrepreneurship. I loved the idea of teaching or coaching. Those were the things that really drew me. So for me, I, I feel blessed to be doing what I'm doing because it kind of combines all three of those things. Uh, there's usually not a lot of opportunities around teaching, but it seems like you've discovered it, which, I, which we'll get into. So why don't you walk us through, you know, coming out of school, what were your early progress? You know, what, what were you thinking, you know, career-wise? Because one of the things we like to take people through here is what are people thinking that, that they got where they are? And, oh, that seems like a good spot that he's at. How, how, does, how, do you, how does one get there? So full-time teaching today, uh, mm-hmm. that's what I spend most of my hours doing. And oddly enough, that's how actually I started when I first graduated. So Ivy mm-hmm. has a really unique program where as soon as you graduate from your undergraduate degree, they hire only a select few students to come back and teach. So you get to teach sort of a, as a full-time lecturer for two years. Wow. So there's a few things that I loved about that. The first was uh, I knew that I loved to teach through that experience teaching in Russia. So a chance mm-hmm. to get to do that and get paid for it, I thought was super interesting. Right. The second thing was flexibility. So I was running a few other, one major, but a few other small businesses on the side and was trying to figure out if those were worth going at full time. Right. So to get to teach sort of heads down full time for, you know, three quarters of the year and then get another quarter of the year to pull back a little bit and get to work on a business. Mm -hmm. That was frankly what interested me most about teaching. Right. And what I found was when I was teaching... The reason, frankly, I think students resonated with me is because I was always trying to relate back what I was teaching to my own experiences running these small student businesses. Right. But, you know, the reason you're learning accounting isn't so that you can learn accounting. Like, here's how I had to practically use it when I was thinking about running this business or starting this business. And so it was my experiences, not necessarily my intelligence or knowledge that made me a good teacher. Yes. Um, and so what I, what I sought to do was just get more experiences. I thought, wow, I love teaching. I'm not ready to make it a full-time career. I think the more I do, the more stories I'll have to share, the more relevant mm-hmm. I'll be. So uh, after teaching for two years, I, I, I mentioned I had run some of my own small businesses, but I really right. wanted to see how the next level, w- what it looked like. What, like. what does it look like? What does it feel like to work with, to learn from some of the bigger, you know, well-funded technology companies. No kidding. So I started as a small family business, just wanted to, you know, anything in Toronto that was willing to take a risk on a kid that didn't on his resume, you know, <laughs> scream that I would be a, an amazing early contributor. Like what is it? What's a teacher bring to a startup? I convinced right. them that I'd be good at sales. Right. And uh, I, I started at that company, but really quickly moved to a venture-backed company that was based in New York. So on a whim, I packed my bags. I moved to New York City and joined a company called Rap that had raised like $30 million with some big name founders. And I thought, I'm going to learn you know, how the, the big dogs do it. I really want to yeah. learn how they do it playing at the highest level. And I'll never forget, uh, we, they flew us down to San Francisco. We had some pretty high profile investors in uh, Greylock and they brought us to their Greylock headquarters. And they ran a growth boot camp. And the lesson that they try to hammer into our heads is that there's two things that matter in your business. One is building a product that people really want. Two is selling. Right. Pick one of those two. Okay. And so that for me was like, you know, I, I'm not a technical person. Um, I can think about what would make a customer fall in love with a product, but that's not really me. Yeah. I'm the salesperson. Right. So I spent the rest of my startup career, you know, the better part of the last 15 years in various sales roles, starting as a, you know, salesperson, then sales manager, and then becoming mm-hmm. a partner most recently at a company 
company called Intellitix, where I was the chief revenue officer. Right. And what I honestly, at the end, I, I sort of cut my teeth into sales at that venture-backed company, went and did it from scratch on my own. We grew that company pretty aggressively. And at the end of it, we were working with all these massive music festivals all over the world, like Coachella and Tomorrowland yeah. and Bonnaroo. And at the end of it, we were mostly happy. Like, wow, you know, you name the top 100 events we had at any given time, greater than 50% of them. Fantastic. But I was also a bit frustrated because what I found, it was sort of an 80-20 rule. It was like, my gosh, a lot of the things, the playbook that I executed on to get these customers and to grow that business, I could have learned this 20 years ago and it would have made it a whole lot easier. So an opportunity came up actually for me to come back and teach sales at Ivy. I bottled up a lot of the learnings that I had, dug into the research, talked to a lot of my friends who are running these high growth companies and put it into a course that we launched at Ivy two years ago. So I, I, I know uh, Kyle, one of our district managers, one of your students, uh, he, he sort of connected us and he was telling me um, about the sales course he was taking. And I must say, one of the questions I had is, I'd never really heard of sales courses. And and you know again, if, if I look at one of our you know, core competencies, core things that we've been really great at. And then on top of it, how so many of our alumni have been really fabulously successful in that space. So it is a new thing for Ivy then. It's, is it a new thing for other business schools as well in Canada? Yeah. Brand new. Brand awesome. new. It, and it was, but it, it wasn't always that way. Okay. So statistically right now, there's of all the colleges or universities in North America, not just Canada, Mm-hmm. Less than 4% of them teach even one sales course. We're not talking a program. We're talking literally just one course in sales. Wow. And yet, statistically, if you're a business graduate, greater than 80% of business graduates are going to end up in sales at some point in their career. For sure. And if you're a non-business graduate, just any other college grad, greater than 50% of them are going to end up in some sort of a sales role at some point. Yes. So most people will end up in sales. Yep. We are teaching it at less than 4% of higher ed institutions in North America. So it's crazy. It, like it, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. And there, there's, a, there's a reason it is that way. So we used to teach sales. Okay. In the 1940s, sales was taught at almost all of higher ed institutions. Okay. And then the 40s through like the 19, 1970s come along where like mad men, mass advertising becomes really popular. And a lot of the focus at higher ed institutions went to how do you teach advertising? How do you teach marketing? Okay. And sales became this like, well, it's probably something that you can learn on the job. You know, it's more vocational. So let's either make, let's like, let's have the colleges teach it. Right. Or it's more art than science. So let's just say that people are going to figure it out when they graduate. And this is until maybe 35 years ago or so when in 1986, a few universities said, hold on. No, actually, like a lot of our graduates are going into sales. It makes sense for us to try to get our arms around this thing again. Right. And they started teaching it a little bit more formally. So now there's, like I said, still only 4% of schools teach it. But we're making progress. I think we're realizing that if most of our graduates are going to be in sales, if all of the CEOs and alumni and even the marketing people that we're interviewing are saying across the board, sales is the number one thing that we should be teaching more in universities. Yes. It's only a matter of time until everyone's going to have to start perking up and listening. Okay. So is your sales program, is that a sales program or or can you describe describe what it is, Eric? Because I'm fascinated. Yeah. So it is, it's not a formal program. So there's, okay. It should be no surprise that in order to you know, to get a program going at a university, it takes time. So I've yes. got to have a little bit of patience. Yeah. But it started as a single course called Sales Foundations. Okay. And right now, Chris, I'm not really catering to people who want to be full-time salespeople yet. Right. Yeah. This is like, if you're going to be an accountant, guess mm-hmm. what? You're going to be a really great accountant. And then one day you're going to have to go ask your boss for more budget or to grow the team. And you're going to be a salesperson. Yes. If you're going to be a consultant, you're going to be a great individual contributor. Then you're going to be a manager and then you're going to make partner. And guess what? You're going to have to learn to sell your deals. You betcha. Um, Same thing with investment banking. Same thing with basically every other job. Yes. So this right now is more sales for life than it is sales for people that want to go into full-time selling. Yeah. So, however, if you take that packaged with a negotiations course that's taught by one of my other colleagues, packaged with a business to business marketing course, 
packaged with a another course that I teach called Hustle and Grit, which I love that designed from scratch. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, if you package all those together, you're going to get a lot of the basics that you're going to need to know. And honestly, a lot of the a lot of businesses now, sort of mid size or or bigger, are going to have sort of their own. Like, oh, great. You've got 80%. You've got the basics. We're going to sure. teach you our own methodology. We'll teach yeah. you how we cold call. But yeah. at least you have a, a basic fundamental understanding. Yeah. One of the big things that we always see is students coming in and not really getting how big a role. You know, we ask, so how many people see themselves in sales, you know, 25 years from now? And three people's hands go up, right? And then we go and say, well, you know, who's the who's the most powerful salesperson you know in North America. And, and then all of a sudden people go, oh, okay, Barack Obama or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. Or, or then all of a sudden people go, oh, okay. They just see exactly what you said. As you go up the ladder, everybody has to sales or they're just going to get stopped on the ladder. They, they can't be the most powerful person in the company, you know, t- typically. You know? Yeah. There's, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but there's a great percentage of executives that start in either marketing or sales roles. Um, there's a handful now that are coming up through product, but mm-hmm. I think it's a great jumping off point. You're going to learn yeah. resilience, how to talk to people, empathy, teamwork, uh, you know, the science and the rigor, there's discipline. There's so many good things that mm-hmm. if you did it for two years and jumped off into something else, you've just got such a great foundation and a lot of fundamental things that are going to be helpful in any other role you have. Yeah. And so, so Eric, I know you, you seem to be standing in two worlds. You've got this teaching role and you've got this entrepreneurship role. You know, what are the pros and cons of doing that? Just see yourself staying and not, not that I'm interested in any public announcement of what your plans are, but, but just how do you see that, 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 you know, I know dichotomy or that, that push and pull. Yeah. So, I mean, candidly making the decision to come back and teach I love to teach. I love to do it. I was that was the role basically. I was a coach and a teacher in the role that I was at my most recent company. Right. The promise I made to myself was I didn't want to become out of touch. Right. I didn't I didn't want to just tell battle stories about, you know, what worked for me and the way things used to be. Right. So, my promise was that I need to stay involved somehow. And so when I first started teaching, I was involved pretty heavily actually operationally in a new company that we were getting going. It was a an alarm and security business. Okay. Um, I was still involved in not day to day, but sort of an advisory role uh, at IntelliTix and invested in and or coached a bunch of early and growth stage companies. Okay. And um, what I found was, yeah, candidly, it, I think it was hard to do both really well. Okay. Uh, and the more the more I fell in fell in love with teaching. The mm-hmm. more I felt my uh, me wanting to put more energy, frankly, into teaching. Okay. So um, I've carved out, I've sort of just, you know, gotten out of the operational day to day. I sold one of the businesses. Um, I still advise and I still invest, but you know, ninety percent of my time now is going into how can I be a better teacher. So I think okay. early on, I think it was helpful to maintain that balance and stay relevant. I now try to do it. Th- through advisory, through investing, um, right. through live trainings that I'll do with private companies. And frankly, Chris, through through research, I think a lot of people like the pr- practitioners like you and I, sometimes the research at these universities gets a bad rap. It's like, well, we should be, you know, it's all about teaching practical skills. Like, is the research really that important? But honestly, I've got binders over here of research because you and I might have an opinion about the best way to cold call. Sure. Why not refer to the people that have dedicated the last four years of their life to scientifically across, you know, a hundred thousand data points tell you, no, no, this is the best way to do a cold call. Oh, so wow. I think like actually getting access to that kind of research and leveraging it is super interesting. Can I buy you lunch? Can we can we talk? <laughs> I'll, br- I'll bring my, I'll bring my binders and my notes and my highlights. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, you've got me really interested. And 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 again, when you speak like. You know, to me, one of my mentors is Jim Collins, right? And so Jim Collins, you know, he has spent his life researching and writing books, you know, formerly a teacher at Stanford. And one of the best things I love about Jim Collins is, is he talks about 
I'm not sure how old Jim is, but he's, I, I think he's definitely in his sixties. And he, he says, I'm halfway through, you know, I, I I've got my seventies and my eighties of writing and research and, and standing on top of all the work. So, so, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, it's really great. Like you're right. I have opinions 100%, you know, or maybe I know this niche, but, but yeah, I'd love to get more, more data, right. More facts. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably how my teaching has evolved. And if the, you know, if there are practitioners that are interested in getting into teaching, mm-hmm. um, I think the fear amongst the academic community is like, you know, well, Chris is just going to come in and tell stories and bring in his buddies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think there is a certain element to wanting to do that, but I think I've, as I've stayed on longer and longer, I'm I'm only in my fourth year here. Yeah. But I think I'm trying to get away from you know what has worked for me. Yeah. Even what has worked for my immediate friend circle of friends and saying, yeah. okay, is that actually true across all of the other industries and yeah. sizes of companies and everything sure. else to yeah. like try to hone in on what, what is actually true? Well, because it's different, you know, again, teaching than running a successful business because, because, you know, it's like, oh, here, we're just about getting results and results and, and creating the success that our, our teams want and our clients want. Where for you, you're, you're you're being broader, and so you're being influenced by pr- other professors. And oh, let's go look at this in a broader way, uh, in a more tactical way. So so yeah, no, I think it's fascinating. Um, you know what you're what you're discovering. You've got me interested. So, but we'll move off that. It's not always about me. <laughs> so so. Uh, Adapting to a mobile environment, all of a sudden, hey, teaching you know a full year online. How, how have you done? What what have you discovered in in that environment? Yeah, I took it really seriously mm-hmm. uh, r- from the very beginning. I I taught when COVID first hit. I was fortunate enough. I think we hit our like almost our our last class or our second last class was in person. The last class was me online. Yeah, and my wife was in our office working from home full time. So I immediately went to our guest bedroom. So yeah. I'm sitting there for my last class with my, you know audio computer speaker and bed behind me and I'm sitting (laughs) in my chair and uh, I was like, you know, okay, fine that we finished the year that way, but that didn't feel, that is so different from an in-person classroom that that can't be the experience when I go back to school in the fall. Awesome. So pretty much immediately at the end of whatever last, last, this uh, would have been 2020, I guess, may have, May of 2020, yes. when we wrapped up the year, I immediately jumped in and started prepping for how I was going to take my courses online. Awesome. So a few things that I did. The first was, I'm not going to look to other online courses to start because the completion rate of these massively open online courses is something, it's like abysmal, it's like 10% or less. So wow. people are not really finishing these online courses. So why would we look to a model that's not working today for how to teach online? Fair. So I immediately went to... What what's working online? What are some of the experiences that I've had that I think make for interesting viewing? And I mm-hmm. went to, I had the live event experience. So I said, yes. okay, concerts, mm-hmm. festivals, events, uh, conferences, podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I looked at all of those. Mm-hmm. And um, those really formed the basis of, you know, I need to think about of course, the 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 message is important, but also the medium is important. So mm-hmm. I right away built out a home studio with good lighting, crystal yeah. clear audio, high quality video. I leveraged what I thought were some of the uniquely good things about online, like being able to quickly send students to breakout rooms. Yes, yeah. Bringing in higher profile guests that no yes. longer have to drive their car in the winter to Ivy. Like I can Love just it. call. We did the same thing. Yeah, just yeah, awesome. Like, yeah. So there were some u- uniquely good things about going online. And uh, I-, I thought I had a good indication just based on the temperature checks. I, I do, uh, you know, similar to running a business, you want to ask your customers how it's going. So I, yeah. you know, c- uh, surveys and feedback from my students all the time. So I had a pretty yeah. good indication what was working and what wasn't. And uh, at the end of the year, I ended up winning actually the, the teaching award at Ivy. So the students, uh, seem to enjoy the experience. And yep. honestly, don't get me wrong. In-person is number one, but yes. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed yep. teaching online. And I think that I will likely be doing more of it in the future. I don't know what that looks like yet, yep. but I really like it. 
Well, I, I, I heard just spectacular things again through Kyle, the standing ovations and congratulations. I didn't want to sort of walk over that. Um, and we found similar things, like you said, really, really digging in. Let's go and do it. I, we love the idea. Every, every you know, Zoom event, it's easier and to, to bring in high profile speakers because it's easy. It's just like, gosh, I got a half hour for you for sure. Otherwise, it's three hours or more for traveling. So so it's just it's just fantastic. And uh, uh, the breakout rooms, just, you know, it's just great. And I know our plan is actually go half Zoom, half in person. You know, yeah. the, the, you never want to give up the in-person, of course. And there is something to just the uh, the lack of traveling. Because, well, we're really spread out. Obviously, at Western, you know, that may not make sense just because everyone will be there, I assume. So, yeah. So what about, what sort of sales space sales topics i know i know um one of the things that kyle mentioned is is finding the right clients blue gumballs you had some great stories about that so we're kind of we're kind of just going to be doing our best to rip off you know great great things that you're teaching uh for our our, our the amazing leaders here uh looking to become better salespeople. sure so that concept specifically is uh the idea that not every person that you talk to is a good fit for your business is yeah. foreign to a lot of people. Yeah. So you fall into the trap early on of sort of buyer-seller relationship where you think that the the buyer seems to have an advantage over the seller and you're begging for the business of any person and a no from that person is a rejection and you're yeah. sort of down in the dumps. And I just wanted to reframe it with my students a little bit to say, let, yeah. let's get, instead of on our heels, let's get on our toes and think about what are the types of customers that are actually a perfect fit for our business? Yeah. So what what are the attributes that we, if you're running a, a student works business, if it's yeah. painting, for example, I just had yeah. my had my deck painted from a student works team locally. <laughs> thank by the you. Way. Thank you. Uh, Got to support. They did my deck and they did my they did my shed, so they did a great job. Oh, awesome. uh, so so what are the attributes of that ideal customer? Mm -hmm. You know, the, what's the what does their house look like? What are they? Yeah. You know, who are we talking to? Uh, when do they pay us? And yes. what are some of the questions that we could ask to figure out if they are one of those ideal fit customers? Yeah. Um, so I get them to come up with those criteria. <clears throat> and then again, with you, if you think about the questions that you might want to ask them at the outset of the call with one of those potential clients, you can say, look, you know, this is the business that we're in. This is the benefit that we that are, that a lot of our great customers get from our services. I wanted to spend a few minutes to see if we're a good fit. If we're not, great. That's okay. Yeah. I'm a big boy. We're going to move yeah. on. If yeah. we are, then here's what the next step might be. Yeah. Um, and I think just that concept is reframing. You know, you're not down on your hands and knees begging for yes. your business from everybody. Is a, yeah. a concept that's foreign to a lot of students getting into sales. Yeah, I just I, I love that. One of the things I love uh, and coach our operators to put in, and this is after you know again a little bit more confidence and but but OG because um, literally we are largely impacted just by how many houses we can paint, not how many houses we can sell. We can sell more. So so it's just we're just looking for fifty amazing clients who are really excited about supporting our business. You know, so you know, and 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 you know, we only can take so many on because it takes a lot to find these amazing students to come and paint your home. You know, so you kind of like you're reverse selling them like, oh wow. So and you're you do identify clients who really want to support students. Like that's a big thing, right? Like every business there, there's a, there's a connection. Oh, I want to go there. Like, you know, I'm a Starbucks client. I love Starbucks. I want to go to Starbucks. I feel good about spending my money at Starbucks. So it's, it's just looking for those A plus clients, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you probably have your criteria. Like, is there yes. a way, is there a way that you could ask a question to figure out if, supporting student businesses is something that that person is interested in. And if they are great, yeah. you know, tick the Check. box, let's go deeper. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what about, um, eating your own dog food? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, this is me sort of just tying my own experiences back into the classroom and saying that everything that I'm teaching you is something that I actively use on my own. And it might not mm -hmm. work in every situation, right. but these are things that I actually try to live and breathe myself. Right. So an example of that would be, 
a temperature check. So a lot of students, if we're thinking about, again, that my course is sales, not just for salespeople, but for everybody, think about you in a job interview and mm -hmm. you're in the job interview and you're not really sure how things went. And it's a lot of the questions I get from students a lot are, well, hey, I, I want some feedback on how I did in the job interview, but I'm emailing them and they're not sending me uh, any feedback. Right. And my question is, well, why didn't you ask them in the room? Like, yeah. why didn't you figure out where you stood in the room? So eating my own dog food, an example of a temperature check would be, you know, I've been on recently, you're pitching a big sales consulting deal for a hundred grand and sort of not really sure where, where people are on the end of the other, on the other line, because you can't see them or on the phone. Yeah. And, you know, look, Chris, I'm, I'm not looking for high fives. I'm looking for a bear hug at the end of this. I want to, yeah. I want to blow it out and I'm not hearing hell yeah on your side. You know, it's not, not sounding like we're there. So on a scale yeah. from one to four, one being go away, Eric, I never want to see you again Four being hell. Yeah. Let's go. Where am I at? Right. And they'll say, you know, four, let's do it. Or, you know, three, I'm not there yet. Okay. Right. Good to know. Where's the gap? You know, what am yeah. I missing? Yeah. So yeah. A lot of the, I call them verbatims, but like the quotes that I teach and the tactics that I use, um, there are some that I, I say literally, you know, this is how this went for me most recently. And I also, in addition to the ones where it worked, there are some that I tell the story where it, where it didn't work and I fall on my face. So yeah. I'm happy to share those failures equally as much. And so how do you handle, you know, do you teach any mindset stuff? Because to, to me, a big part of why does someone send an email and why doesn't someone ask the question is about, is, is, is mindset, is confidence, is, is they're fearful. So, so is that anything you're coaching in your, in your sales training? Yeah, it is. It is for sure. So I'm trying to rebrand these. We call them, there's hard skills and soft skills, but I'm trying to rebrand the soft skills as power skills. So we're right. starting the rebranding re here. And one of those power skills would be resilience. So I, yeah. I, I undertook my own research project last year. Mm -hmm. I surveyed a few hundred sales trainers, sales managers, and individual contributors. Mm -hmm. And I looked at all of the research that I could look at dating back as far as 1918, which is as far back as I could find. Okay. And tried to look at what are the things that cause the good, the good salespeople to be great, uh, yeah. and the not so good people to be not so good and wasn't, shouldn't have been a surprise that there is a certain amount of resilience that you yes. just need to have. You need to be yeah. able to pick yourself back up after getting a bunch of no's. Yes. So how do you teach that? Yeah. Well, I could lecture you on it. I could show you the research and I could tell you a story, but the best way to do these things is you could just got to have students do it. Yeah. You just have to have them go out and do it. Right. And fail and fall on their face and realize that it's not actually that bad. Right. So we do uh, something I call Rejection Olympics. Okay. And we put together, everybody in the class has a bingo card, basically, if you're you know, familiar with the bingo concept. Yeah. There's a grid with a whole bunch of different challenges that range from, you know, go to Tim Hortons and order a pizza. Right. Uh, try to, like, without lying, I'm not saying doing anything disingenuous, but yeah. like, go return something to a store that you didn't buy it from. So like, go return this water bottle to you know, KFC, right. Um, get on the bus without bus fare, not like through, through a conversation with the bus driver, not right. through stealing. Yeah. Um, go make up with a friend that you haven't talked to in five years. Awesome. And if you can get, ideally you want to get a line or four corners or something, but we have students that fill up the whole card and ultimately what I want them to experience is that these are super uncomfortable situations. Yeah. But after you do them, you realize that nobody friggin' cares. Yeah. You know, no, really nobody cares. And it's not that it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable the first time, yeah. but it's really not that bad. And for some yeah. of them, it's addicting. They want to keep doing them. So we get people that are like, Oh my God, how am I going to do any of these? And we get them to fill up the whole card. Fantastic. Yeah. So I think resilience is important. I can't lecture you on the importance of resilience. I think you just have to go out there and realize that. Yeah you know, getting shut down and bouncing back up isn't that hard. And the only way you can do it is by having people actually go out and experience it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, uh, oh, totally. And, and I guess just, just, it's, it's, uh, it, I, I guess you're right. Like it really comes down to that. It's just that experience of, of, of doing it and just recognizing, Hey, everyone's actually afraid, afraid of everybody else. And once you get yeah. it, you go, Oh, I'm no longer afraid. 
because they're afraid of me too, right? And it's okay. And and yeah, I can just do whatever I need to do. Uh, you know, again, you know, morally, ethically, you know, within the bounds of the law. We we have a thing we say, uh, break the rules, not the law. Um, you like know, that. so so like you know, that. it's like it's like we we talk about there's signs that say uh, no soliciting. So what we coach is 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 we just say, you know, knock on the door and say, did you see this? Oh, you know, and we just ask about the painting. You know, because to us, it's an advertisement to say, I can't say no. And then the second thing we'll say is, oh, Mr. Jansen, that 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 sign, I thought it might have just been from a previous homeowner who owned the home. Yeah. You know, so it's just and just have a conversation. And sometimes it doesn't go well. And isn't that great, too? Right. You yeah. go, oh, how bad can it be? No one's going to threaten you. No one's going to harm you. They may not. They may not be happy. And again, it's breaking down the bounds of, uh, you know, breaking the rules, not the law. So yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, that's a good. I love it. I feel like you know, if you were to, for most recently for the security business, I trained up some salespeople to go door to door selling. Yes, and your instinct is to like you sit in a room and you come up with a framework and you practice yeah. it and you rehearse it and you case study and you blah 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 blah. blah. But really, just go out and do it on a hundred doors. Yeah. You know, like let's just let's do it. Let's not first sit down and come up with a script. Let's just go and do it a hundred times. Yeah. And we're going to figure out what's working and what's not. Let's do a yeah. debrief at the end of the day. Keep what's working. Punt out what's not. I just feel like a lot of this stuff, you just have to, you just have to go and do it and do it and do it and do it. Yeah. And eventually you're yeah. going to figure it out. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so, it's so fun. The uh, different great things. I know one of our top operators, he, he's got, well, right now as we're talking, whatever, July 26th, I think he has 540,000 full-time queen student running a business. And, and he, he, every day they canvas happy Thursday, you know, happy Friday. <laughs> and it's just such an idiotic, right? Like just people have to smile and you do it with a huge smile and people just like, oh, oh, you know, there's just, there's just ways to sort of just to get engaged with people and, uh, and, and just kind of break down that initial this is this is weird. You're knocking on my door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For door to for door to door for cold calling, it's like you know, if you are if I were going to write a book on it, it's like do a cold call and then do another one and then do another one and then yeah. do another one. That is the key to success. Yeah, exactly. So telling stories. So you know, how how do you? Uh, uh, well, I think not obviously, but that is such a hugely impactful tool to, to for for sales. But how, what what are you doing with your classes around that and students? So I think two things. One, they see me do it all the time, right? In every okay. class, it, there's I, I don't really lecture for that long. I pre, you can probably keep somebody's attention, even with sound effects and lights and movies yeah. and all this stuff. I still probably get like eight to 10 minutes where I can keep someone's attention. And then you got to switch it up. So I'm always storytelling in my own classes. Even if it's okay. not my own personal stories, it's a story about a customer or something else or whatever. So I'm always storytelling myself. And then secondly, I give them a I give them a little bit of a framework for how to tell stories uh, and when when the right time to use stories is with a bunch of examples from my own uh, selling career. Okay, awesome, yeah. awesome. And and what about questions? You know, how do you how do you frame questions? How do you like um, you know? Because obviously, you know, one of the, one of the stats I've heard, I and it could just be a complete makeup makeup thing, but you know, the top salesmen were told, or and again, I don't know if it's accurate. You know, ask five to six times more questions. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. There's there's great data to support it, right? So Gong.io, one of the sort of unicorn sales tech platforms oh, now records yes. sales conversations. And the data shows that the people that are winning more deals are just, they shut up, they ask yeah. a good question, they actually listen to the answer, and they try not to talk the whole time. Yeah. Something that I think the one thing that students don't think about when it comes to questions is thinking about what what's the goal? Just as a starting point, what what's the goal with my questions? So right. an example, yeah. I do this in my personal life. So we're coming out of coming out of COVID when you hadn't seen your family in, you know, knock on wood, hopefully we're coming out of COVID now. Yes, I hope so. I think haven't so. seen your family in a long time uh, in person. And I'm going to see my parents. So they're coming down to our cottage to visit. And I literally am, I think about how do I want to feel at the end of them coming to visit me? And how do I want them to feel at the end? And so that actually frames the way that I'm interacting with them. Mm -hmm. frames the way that I'm like mentally preparing for that interaction with my parents. I, you know, turn my phone off. Yeah. I will set an out of office. I will put my phone away. 
Yeah. Um, I will say if I want them to feel like I was present, if I want them to feel like I genuinely cared about them and what they've been up to, then I'll ask very specific questions about you know deeper topics that I may not have skimmed the surface of otherwise. Right. So I'm really very intentional about how do what's the goal of the questions that I'm asking, and then how do I want the the person, my parents, or the customer to feel at the end of our interaction. I love that. I love that. And yeah, and and I it's something hard to actually you know, describe, but that's exactly it. When, when you're in a coaching conversation or a conversation, it's, it's like, okay, what question we get them to discover that what question we get that further along, you know? So, so, so that's always, that's always how I'm asking questions where, how will that progress our conversation, get them what they're, what they're looking for. So, yeah, the the key with questions is similar to cold calling is that you need practice. So the way that I structure teaching it is I think of asking questions, it's sort of like a game of double dutch, right? So let's assume that you've done an initial qualifying call with somebody, and then you're going to set up what we call a discovery call to figure yes. out, is there a good fit? You know, should we put together a quote? What would that look like? Yeah. And done wrong, it can feel like an interrogation, right? So yes. you come in with your questions and you question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, blah, what do you do at the end? Done right, it sort of feels like, you know, intelligent, thoughtful question actually listening to the answer which informs the next question yeah and then you figure out when the right time is to pitch is a strong word but when you talk about what what it is that you do is it a is it a case study you want to reference Mm -hmm. is it you know some work that you've done with another customer that's similar to you oh you know you're, you're you're interested in getting your deck painted Really interesting. That's very common in this area. We get a lot yeah. of pollen. Like we did, you know, Steve two doors down. We did Steve's deck. You can go and take a look at what it looks like. Can you help me understand? So it's like, it's a little bit of a pitch. You're like, oh, Steve, yeah. cool. I know Steve. I yeah. like his deck. His deck looks yeah. great. That's, yeah. you're sort of selling. And then back to a question, you know, are given that the climate is roughly the same as Steve's down the way, uh, are you interested in a more, you know, a different sort of finish than we'd give at a normal house? I don't know. Right. I don't know painting that well. hundred percent. No, but like you're asking the questions, figuring out the right time to jump in and then back to a very thoughtful question. And yeah. instead of, you know, question, question, interrogation, answer, 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 mm-hmm. answer, you know, awkward end. <laughs> yeah. the other, and the other thing that I wanted to highlight was really listening to the answer. And it's stressful because you need to just be present. And then you need to understand that at the end, there will be a question that will come up for you, right? Or or you've got your checklist, but you know that you just trust the process. And like you said, a big piece of it is experience and just reps and more reps than you feel more and more comfortable to be able to deliver and, and have a great interaction. Yeah. So easier said than done, right? Yes. So- the, the the attention piece. Again, here's why. There's nomophobia, which is the fear of being without your cell phone, is a legitimate, like it is a legitimate proven phobia that a lot of people, especially the people that would be on a student works team, uh, yes. they have. Mm-hmm. We are so used to having it in our pocket or with our arm's reach. Yes. Looking into the, I'm going to geek out for a second here on the research. It actually shows, and I didn't want to just be the guy lecturing, like, put away your phone. Yeah. But research actually shows that if you have your phone on your desk, even if you have your phone in your bag, or you flipped over on your desk and you think, like, oh, whatever, you know, this is me being polite. My phone is turned over. I'm not actually, you know, I'm listening to you. Yeah. Your your attention span, your cognitive abilities, your focus decreases substantially. Wow. So... When I used to have my big meetings, it's like it's hard, right? I we're all used to being on our phones all the time. Big meetings or conversations like this, I put it in do not disturb mode. Yeah. And I stick it in. I have a, a cell phone jail. Oh, that that's was what you what that's what you were looking for. Ah, okay. Yeah. So my I I have do not disturb, but there's a few calls that squeak through there now and again. But I put it in my cell phone jail, and that's my way of saying, you know, that is over there. I'm not thinking about it. Boom, I can be fully dialed in and focused. So it's funny that. Literally being the person that listens more just yes. by potentially leaving your phone in your car when you're yeah. doing your sales calls can actually be a competitive differentiator nowadays. I, I totally can see. And I know for me, one of my weaknesses as well as distractions. So I've got your LinkedIn profile up, just so you know. But it, it's it's that could be a potential distraction and sort of just like, okay, turn everything off. And and so it's getting yourself prepared to be there and nowhere else. 
you know, yeah. is, is, is always so key. And that's, uh, you know, if I look back on some of the mistakes that I made, the, the, one of the blessings I have in the role that I'm in is that I, I get time to think about stuff and to mm-hmm. debrief on a meeting and think about, you know, that meeting with Chris, did I hit all the points that I wanted to? I could have done a better job on this. Well, next time I'm going to highlight this better. Versus when I was in it, you know, running a global sales team, I, you're for 10 hours, 12 hours a day, you are back to back to back to back yeah, to back yeah, with clients yeah. to internal team to you yeah. know, raising money, just like all the stuff that you don't actually pause to think about it. So I think some of the best salespeople, sales managers, especially uh, entrepreneurs that that I meet with nowadays, it feels like you are the only person in the world. Yes. And they give themselves a little bit of flex time in between yeah. to transition, think about, digest, you know, do the follow-up versus like, you know, back to back to back to back yeah. to back. You have to actually schedule in that time in between. Yeah. Yes. It's like, give yourself that break to go and did I cover everything? How am I doing? Constantly looking at it. And I know that they've, people have talked to me about really successful politicians bumping into Obama or different people. They're like totally present. And, and people who are that successful, you know, in that type of a field, just majorly, uh, the, the, the focus is entirely on that person. So, yeah. so no, just so, so key for, for sales. So, so I know one of the things I noticed on your LinkedIn post, how do you teach your students how to fail? But you went through that. So I just love it. Right. Like the, these examples. Um, oh, actually, would you mind sharing it with me? Because I could, I could see using that with, with our operators. If you, if you'd be up to it, I know. Your rejection the, Olympics. Yes. Rejection Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. They're going to get, they're going to double dip. If uh, hopefully my plan is if I can churn out good salespeople, they'll be interested in getting into student work. So maybe some of them will double dip, but that's okay. Well, that'd be fantastic. That'd be fantastic. So, so, and then the one of the things I didn't want to jump over was just the incredible success you had at Intellitech. So, so, you know, that's, that's just a, what could you speak of in terms of like, were, were you involved in, in, in the creation or when did you get involved, et cetera, in that, in that opportunity? Yeah. So I didn't start the company. Uh, right. Our founder, Serge, had a long track record in the live entertainment business. Mm-hmm. And it's an opportunity in a space that you know I 100% could not have done on my own. He, right. he was the idea guy. Right. Um, he's also a great storyteller. I mean, a mm-hmm. great storyteller, honestly, salesperson in his own right. Um, so I jumped on. The company was still early. There was a few good customer, you know, for a few early customers that were mainly uh, Surge's contacts that were right. in the roster. And uh, I got brought on to think about, you know, okay, do we do we keep going sort of at the slow and steady pace that we're on? Or do we add some fuel to the fire, raise some money and really try to punch this thing up? Right. Um, and we ch- that's that's the path that we chose. So I, I originally met with Serge. It was supposed to be a, a friend of a friend, actually. It was on a, another board with him. And I met with him for lunch. They were just, we were talking about grow how to how to grow a company quickly. How do you grow sales quickly at a company? Because that's what I was doing in my current role at uh, right. at RAP. And what was supposed to be a 30-minute, you know, chit-chat conversation turned into a three-hour, like three-hour conversation. He's a incredible storyteller with an amazing life story. And I was just, you know, enthralled about working with him. And yeah. you know, the I thought his sort of artistic and visionary view of what the company could be. And a little bit of my, you know, process and rigor that I brought to my current sales team, and sort of seeing how it was done in Silicon Valley, I thought these two together could be a pretty good pair. So he offered me a, you know, an equity position to come on as a as, as a business partner, and I took on the role of CRO, and we re- ended up raising the money and growing that business, you know, twenty different countries or something. Wow, wow! And in terms of in terms of uh, just time and effort, you know, how much tougher was that role than, you know, other roles? Like, is it, uh, you know, just for our young leaders, like what would that have, have made, uh, been for you? Yeah. Infinitely, infinitely more pressure. I like, yes. I don't know. My opinion is that I think you determine your proje- professional trajectory in how you spend your twenties and thirties. Yeah, I think the same. Yeah. And so 
I was ready to, as soon as I graduated, I was shot out of a cannon. I was, I was going like hell. I, I don't know that I could have worked more hours. So, right. you know, with no, no kids, yeah. uh, really didn't have a lot to think about aside, you know, I, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, right. uh, fitness and, and work like that was it. Right. Right. So I gave up everything, um, to make that work. And there was no other way to do it. Um, the, the thing that people, I think, I think that scares off uh, some of my students. We have this discussion around uh, you know, work-life balance, which I'm sure you've talked about before. Yes. But when you're in it, it doesn't feel like, like you know inherently that you're giving some things up, but it's in the service of something else. Mm-hmm. So when you're incentivized as an owner in the company, and you get a meeting with the CEO of Live Nation in Los Angeles, you're on a plane the next day and you're not like, oh, like, you know, another slog at the office. Like, yeah. oh, I can't believe I'm working so much. You're like, yeah. no, I'm, I want to make this a unicorn and I'm incentivized to do it. And this is financial security for my family. And yeah. it's stroking my ego and I and love my exciting. work. So like, yes. yeah. bring it on. Like, let's go. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I could have worked more hours, but I think the stakes got higher because I thought, okay, you know, I, I, I sort of did the other thing but not fully on my own. I kind of was part of a team, saw how it was done. And IntelliTix was my real shot to say, you know, with a clean sheet of paper, how would you build a sales process system, team incentive systems, global expansion plan from scratch? And it's all on you. Wow. So I think the, you know, the volume of work may not have been more, but the pressure, I think, increased substantially. And that takes a toll. Right. Yeah. So I'd be, I think I'd be lying if I said that wasn't at least part of the reason why I made a transition. I've got three kids. My yeah. wife and I were only seeing each other on weekends. She's got yeah. a really busy career as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a good but not great dad and yeah. uh, husband and brother and everything else. And, you know, I just didn't see it as a sustainable lifestyle with us both going 100 miles an hour at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I think part of it is, you know, we have a great partnership, me and my wife. It's like, yeah. no, no, you know, it's your turn to go. Yeah. Justine, your your thing is uh on the a priority. trajectory that's yeah. much more clear right now. I'm gonna I took 18 months and made sure that the team was gonna be okay at Intellitix. I slowed up a little bit, meaning I didn't have to still work a lot, but I don't I'm not on the road yes. you know, a quarter million miles a year. Yeah. So she kept going. I shifted gears a little bit, and that was the right choice for our family like that yeah. i think you, my the thing that shifts when you're maybe 35 if you've got you start to think about kids and family yes you think less about you and more about what the what works for the system yes and the system at that point was an unsustainable system that something was going to break it was going to break kept, yes 100 we yeah. just kept flooring it so something yeah. needed to give yeah yeah no and i love the the whole balance thing you know there's you know there's there's balance for times of life i think as well you know it's but the 20s i think is the most important time of your life to really set your career up so then you do have more choices and you know more opportunities uh so i know we've been talking about wins and i know you like to talk about failures and mistakes because i listen to your podcast so uh so what what about any failures and mistakes that you'd like to share with our our leaders yeah um I mean, for every, I try to make sure that in every one of my classes, I talk about a, you know, here's a chance where I've used it and it works. And here's an opportunity where I've used it and it didn't work. So to come back to my ideal customer example, sure. I teach a certain method of identifying your ideal customer and then asking questions to figure out if they're a good fit. And um, I thought I had identified a, a good fit customer in, it was a, there's a massive music festival in Miami called Ultra. Uh, the ultra franchise is a huge one, you know, globally across the world. It would have been a huge win for us. And uh, we went into that meeting uh, with the, basically, the, they they wanted to meet with us. And so we went in just trying to understand what their needs were. Right. And I think that those massive companies like that are so used to being you know, pitched and please, can we have your business? And, you know, we're going to discount just because we want this brand on our website. And we sort of went into that meeting and said, look, you know, here's what we think is a good fit customer. And let's spend some time to figure out if we're a good fit for one another. And they thought, what the hell is this? You know, like, I know, like, you're here, you pitch us. Like, why do you think you deserve to win our business? And we were basically saying, 
I don't know that we do until we understand more about some of the challenges that you're facing. And if we can't help you solve those challenges, we might not be a good fit for one another. Right. So, you know, for whatever reason, that did not resonate with them. And I think we were blacklisted from working with Ultra <laughs> Miami uh, across the world. And one of our competitors ended up picking them up. But like I said, for each example where it doesn't work, uh, we use the exact same tactic to avoid working with Fire Festival, which is a festival yeah. that was a complete disaster. So yes, everyone's yeah. everyone's uh, I'm sure heard of the Netflix special. So exactly. so the only thing I would say about that Ultra is it sounds to me like from that interaction that they could be just one of those enormously large and extraordinarily hard customers you know, to deal with, you know, so, so, so maybe it's good that your competitor got it. I don't know, but it just doesn't feel like, like a way that I would feel comfortable doing business with someone either, you know? So again, you kind of just, you go with your strategy, like you're way more likely again, I, I, I certainly, but, but again, it's, it's interesting. I, I I'm sure there's better failure stories, but I'm going to let a slide on that because it was a great lesson. <laughs> so it, when we think about, you know, you as a university student gra graduating Ivy to, to sort of being this, you know, enormous value creator in the full-time world, what did you need to change about yourself, Eric? So, sorry, from being a student to going in Student, yeah, to a student to now, you know, creating all this success over, over the, the period. What, what, what things did you need to change about yourself? My mind immediately gravitates towards um, habits. Yeah, okay. Um, and... It, try not to use some of the cliche ones, but I think something I learned about myself is my one of my default reactions is overwhelm. So I take on too much. Wow. And on my best days, I'm like, I got it all. I'm on top of the world. And then there are days where it starts to crumble and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? You know, I'm overwhelmed. I took on too much stuff. Right. And so I developed my own systems over the years of things that I non-negotiable have to do in order to stay in a positive headspace. So things awesome. like every day that I... Don't, you know, if I, if I feel overwhelmed, my keys are stop checking email. So like get out of email, yeah. shut, shut it down, uh, lift something heavy, yeah. get outside, drink lots of water. Yeah. It's like, you know, if I feel those feelings, it's okay. Am I, am I, am I doing all of those things? No, you didn't, haven't worked out in four days. Go for a quick run. That would be, it. Got, yeah. go to the, go to the gym and just do something. Mm. Um, so I think one is, uh, coming up with whatever those habits are that you, you know, make you feel like you can run optimally, you know, 100% all the time. Other thing I think is I, I wish I would have earlier on swallowed my pride, just gotten rid of the ego a little bit. I think I, you know, had a chip on my shoulder and wanted to prove that I knew, pretend that I knew stuff before I actually knew it uh, versus, you know, going in a little bit more open-minded and saying, not being afraid to say, it's a great question. I've, no idea actually how to do an international expansion into 20 countries at the same time. Um, but I'm going to find out through asking friends that have done it and reading and studying and coming back with a plan versus like, well, yeah, it'd be pretty simple. We would just do this, 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 but not really actually knowing whether that was the right answer, you know, see anything yeah. with confidence and people will believe you. <laughs> um, so those are two things. I think knowing, you know, how to keep your system operating optimally and then, um, Two is just uh, being a little bit more humble and open-minded yeah. and not being a know-it-all earlier on in my career. Yeah. And, and, see, and seeing what enormous strength humility is, right? Not just for yourself, but actually how people see it, that they actually see it as, oh, wow, here's someone who said that. But by the way, my second last question was about key habits. You already answered it, which is wonderful. I think habits are so powerful, you know, to set people up. So my final question, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, Eric, what comes to mind? Yeah. Um, you should check out in my research, I came across, uh, the world economic forum put together a report in 2020 that listed out the eight key attributes that are going to be important for the jobs of the next 10 or 15 years. And, you know, not surprisingly, there are a lot of what I call those power skills on there. It's how do you have empathy and how can you, you know, get along well with other people? Right. Um, how can you selling skills, not a surprise, are on there. Yeah. Um, there are a certain amount of so some technical chops that are on there. I think the biggest thing is pick one of them, right? Pick one yes. of them and just be a be really good at one yeah. of them. And that's going to be an incredibly fulfilling and lucrative career. Yeah. Um, 
But I, I think, you know, look to the people that have done the homework on this and are predicting what are going to be the most important skills of the next two decades. Yeah. Those are three of them right there. Yeah. No, I love it. Well, and, and one of the things as well, you know, just we've had limited interactions. I hope there'll be more. Uh, and the one thing is, Eric, it just seems to me like you really love what you're doing. Right. And for for a young leader listening, it's like, you know, going in that direction, you know, and then I'm really good at this. And then you're you like it. You're good at it. You enjoy it. It just it's so much more likely to win for you. And if it if it doesn't win as much as something else, well, you're going to be happy every day doing what you love. So that that's 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 pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my final pieces of advice I give in my last lecture to my students is you've spent, you know, call it they're 20 years old. They've been in school for the last almost 18 years of their lives, and they've spent 18 years trying to be a well-rounded person and learning yes. all of these different topics. Yeah. Well, the next decade needs to be about you picking a few of them and trying to figure out how you can be really good at a few yeah. of those things. And through being really good at one of those things is where the passion comes from, is where the rewards come from financially and flexibility and otherwise. So yeah, I think doubling down on whatever it is that you figure out you're good at is a, a hugely important thing. Fantastic. Well, well, Eric, again, thanks so much. Uh, just, just awesome. Awesome. Uh, really, really love it. We'll let you know when the podcast come out, it's going to be early in September. Uh, and, um, yeah, just, 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 uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. Amazing. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.